what is going on, everybody? It is your girl, Pam, with 2200 Taps. I have been MIA for a little bit, but it's all been in good fun. We have been making short films. We have been networking our asses off, and we are back. Um, like I was saying, not the way I was hoping we would be, but we are back, and we are going to improve our quality of videos and stuff here pretty soon, so bear with us. But I actually i am super stoked for our next guest. Our first guest in a long time, but our next guest. This guy, man, I've been doing my homework on him. He is just somebody that you want to be friends with. I mean, he has been checking in on me. Uh, I've been here injured lately. Not really injured. I don't want to make it sound like I've been terribly hurt. Uh, but, you know, the back's been giving out and getting old, and he's been con constantly checking in on me. And I have been trying to get him on the podcast for a while, and we finally have a little window today. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you guys to my buddy Trent Fielder. What's up, Trent? Hey. How you doing? How are you? Good, good. 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 See, you're on your bed getting all comfy and stuff on this thing. Yeah, I got to have the pillow, you know, or if I bore myself. <laughs> you just fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I... Uh, you know, for those that don't know, Trent is a fellow ATF athlete, and I've spoken about the Adaptive Training Foundation on these podcasts here and there, and you, what class were you, Trent? I was class 10. You're a class 10. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. What, yeah, best class. The best class? Dude, I don't know, man. We're, we're 19, and we're, we're pretty tight, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had uh, Derek. Derek was in my class. He was the first one in my class. So. Okay, you guys had a badass class. I know Derek. Right. He's pretty badass. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of a given. Everyone kind of trumps everything right there. Yeah, so. just say the name and I just, I fold. I totally yeah. fold. <laughs> um, well, the reason I really wanted to get you on the show is you and I were talking just a little bit before we we hit record about your story. about And, and, mm -hmm. and your story started when you were a little boy. You right. know, and the things that you went through then, the things that you went through with your late wife, the things that you've gone through here lately with your own kids. I just, there's so many different aspects to your story. And before we hit on that, I do want to tell you, I was watching a documentary that, um, forgive me, I can't remember who did it. Who did that documentary on you when you were talking about the Iron Man? Oh, uh, his name is Cameron Smith. Cam He's a, um, yeah, kind of a local filmmaker. He had just overheard mine, but he'd, um, he created a, a series of little mini documentaries called Teardrop Project. Yeah, tear, yeah, that's a great title, because let me tell you, I was watching your documentary. I was damn near in tears. Hmm. And for those that don't know, um, Trent got, di how long ago did you get diagnosed with your, with your ailment? Um, nine years, nine and we're heading towards nine years in about four months. So December 16, 2011. Okay. And what is it again that, that you got diagnosed with? Uh, first one was Guillain-Barre syndrome. So it's a, it's, uh, it's a virus where my body attack gets confused. And so uh, it attacks itself instead of, you know, it sees my nervous system as a foreign body. So it attacks itself and paralyzes me. Jesus. Well, I was I was watching that that tearjerker of a documentary, which, by the way, shout out to that guy that put it together. It was beautifully done. And you gave him footage. You, you gave him some footage to use, and it was the footage of you taking your first steps at ATF. 
And I was I was literally damn near in tears because uh, Fitz, Sean Fitz, uh, oh my god, that dude! I didn't know he was your trainer. Was he your trainer? Yeah, he was my trainer. Oh, I yeah. love the guy. Um, yeah. Somebody, I, I don't know who the lady was trying to help you walk, but at one point you took a few steps. You threw your your walking cane off to the side. Mm-hmm. She was tr- still trying to ho- hold you, and you're like pulling away from her, and you're do- you're just making these steps. And I'm just like, oh my god! And you you probably took like I would say fifty steps, but it it was probably less than that. But you took quite a few steps. Yeah, I think I, I just kind of I kept going until I, I think I I laugh at Fitz sometimes because I told him I said you stopped me. He's like, "What do you mean you stopped you?" I said, "Well, you kept telling me you're doing this." I was like, I was so focused on because I can't feel my legs. I was so focused on where they were. I just kept going, but then I suddenly <laughs> realized it's like oh, they're moving. You know, oh my <laughs> and it God. just kind of overcame me. Yeah, it did because you hit your knees and and Fitz was right there to catch you and yeah, it was it was such a beautiful moment. So the reason I bring that up is because you know as ATF athletes, we're adaptive athletes. There's a lot of things that we go through on an emotional level, and 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 David says it says it best. He's a, he says you know we use sweat equity. I can't even talk sweat equity to fix what's between the ears. Yep. And guys, if you don't know anything about ATF or Adaptive Training Foundation, you need to check them out. We're probably going to talk a little bit more about that here later. Um, we love the guys over there. Love, love, love them. Support them. Big shout out to uh, to David and, and and the crew out there. Uh, but let's go ahead and get started, man. What was that? I said changed my life in a way that can't be repaid, but uh, the, the life I live now wouldn't exist if it wasn't for bb oh man and these guys and all of them they're incredible yeah. all of them all of them yeah. and we're going to talk about that don't let me forget that because i mean okay. it could be squirrel city over here on my end and if i don't come back to that i'm going to kick myself in the ass because there's something i really want to ask you about that okay good all right the guy with brain injuries is going to be the one that's going to remind you okay Shit. we're good you do really i have tbi too this could this is not good <laughs> the memory of a goldfish it's dude be an interesting interview <laughs> It's like, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Right. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get started. I'm so glad you're, um, for those that can't see Trent, he is, he's literally in his bed. <laughs> it's about as intimate as it gets for an interview. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, one thing I want to talk about, and uh, it's kind of interesting because you always hear about uh, sexual trauma and, 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 uh, being molested, this, that, and the other, and you always hear about it from the women. Right. Like nine times, more times than none, it's the, the vast majority of people you hear it from are usually women. And I get it because yep. I was one of them. Yeah. But when you said it happened to you, I was like, you know what? This would be a damn good thing to start with. Just because, you know, it, ha- it honestly, it happens to way more men than what we know. But men don't mm-hmm. talk about this, you know? Not a no, lot of people want to talk about it. So no. I'm just blessed and grateful and thankful that you're here willing to really talk about this shit because somebody needs to hear it, and that's what this podcast is about. So yeah. I'm going to give the floor to you. You take yeah. us however far you want to take us in whatever capacity. We have a good solid 40 minutes, if yeah. longer if we need. 
and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of let us know like what, how old you were. I mean, I mean, you floor is yours, dude. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The um, uh, you're right though when you talk about men don't men don't talk about it, and it was it was interesting when I made the decision to go public with it. Um, I mean, I hadn't talked about it in 38 years. And when I mean not talked about it, I mean, I had not talked about it at all. I mean, the only time that I had um, really broached it with my wife, I made sure it's when we were cooking in the kitchen and making something very loud. And I made it as subtle as I could and hopeful that she was only listening to about half of it. So, but men, the suicide rates are off the charts uh, for them. And that, a lot of that's due to not feeling like they can talk about it and then uh, not knowing what to do with it. Cause it's, I mean, it's hard enough for anybody to unpack with men. I think we, it's ego is probably a simplistic way of looking at it. But in the end, we, uh, we internalize a lot. And that's something that um, it's hard to find a shared voice with. So it's a, uh, it's not, it's just not, like I said, it's, not something you see written much about or talked much about at all. So, yeah, but I was, um, I was five years old, uh, the first time it happened and it was, uh, not as severe as what had happened after that, but it was an incident at a home where, um, I just was like my family that was in the other room and, um, they were talking there were a bunch of people that were there and I had just, as kids do was going through this person's house and went into the other, went into one of the rooms and one of the people was there that uh, followed me in there. And, um, just again, I mean, I was only five, so I wasn't really comprehending what was that. I was kind of, I was suddenly trapped in this room or anything like that. But the communication that was with me was, you know, what am I interested in or like what toys do I like to play with? You know, what things are curious. Um, But then there were some, uh, this person had some magazines um, in there that were in a box that were pornographic magazines. And um, again, being five, no idea what I was really looking at, Um, but took them out and kind of, pointed to different parts and just kind of saying, saying a few different things, but then made the, made a switch the communication or switch the talk around into, well, with her parts, you use your parts. And what? so it was, yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of this, I mean, obviously it was a very sadistic way of, you know, explaining sex education to a five-year-old, but it gave the opportunity to, um, touch me. I had my clothes on. Um, but to be able to touch me and kind of a, I mean, the way I used to explain it or think about it was kind of like you go to an eye doctor and they do one of these, you know, back and forth, but he's got this open magazine with, you know, naked women in it and he's pointing to them, but then, you know, pointing to give himself, give him a chance to touch me. So, um, it, it wasn't, it still wasn't something I recognized the gravity of what was going on. So, and it was uh, more than just kind of tapping. It was you know, a little bit of massaging that was there. The, the only 
with that particular person, there were, I think, really two other one, one or two other times, um, again, being the longest back and, you know, trying to remember some of it. Um, but it really centered around, uh, my body, uh, touching, touching my body. So um, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but w- were, no, was this person showing you like the male body part and then t- no, like female to- ones. Yeah. It was the female ones. Primarily there were, there were a couple of magazines that had, you know, full on, I mean, there were hustler magazines, I think. Mm-hmm. So they were intense. Um, but, uh, yeah, but was showing, you know, where boys parts go into girls parts, but using my body as the physical example. So, wow. So this that makes sense. Yeah. No, no, totally. It totally does. So this was the, the beginning of multiple experiences, not with just that one person, right? It happened with others. You said. Right. Yeah. That one, that one was really, um, in the end, that was the least number of times that was really, like I said, it was only a few times and it was done. The other one, um, and I I feel it's broad based enough to where I can say this, but we were very active in our church, um, as Catholic church. So, uh, the horror stories that are out there, Mm -hmm. um, are real. So, but our, our, our involvement was, um, a lot. I was an altar boy and altar boy for a number of years. And, you know, I was baptized, confirmed, things like that. Um, but this, this particular one was the worst of the three, um, because there were a lot of opportunities for me to be alone with this person. Um, it was not a priest within the church. It was somebody with, with the church, but there were a lot of opportunities to be, uh, to be alone with them. And, it started out as um, touching and curiosity, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, trying to explore how I felt about certain circumstances. You know, it's like you're as an altar boy, you've got your robe that you're wearing and you're uh, I was just trying to say the little ta- rope tassel mm-hmm. that goes around your waist. Well, how old are so, you? But you're always having to take, uh, I was eight. So, um, yeah, I was eight, eight at the time. So, okay. um, and, <clears throat> but there were a lot of opportunities where I was specifically alone with this person. So and these are, these are details that I've not discussed too much publicly. So it's just going to take me a minute to kind of get it out. So I apologize. For hey, that. hey, you know, like, first off, don't apologize, man. This yeah. is, this is, this is hard stuff. And what I yeah. love about this place is you are in a safe place to talk about this hard stuff. Don't ever yeah. feel like you need to apologize for the shit that happened to you. Please don't oh, do that. Well, uh, you know. I think it's more for my uh, my inability to just get it out. I know. And, so and you I'll, know what? Uh, It'll get stuck right here in your throat. And I'm yeah. right here with you. And what better way to capture it than right here? I get it. Yeah. And you take yeah. your time. Take as long as you need. The uh, what's, What started out, I mean, it was just, I mean, same typical grooming behavior that you you know, read about and know about. So it's, you know, trying to make things seem normal and, you know, not a big deal. And this happens everywhere, but you know, what started out as um, just kind of this casual touching, then it was uh, trying to in- incorporate more um, the opportunity to help me disrobe, you know, or, or take the clothes off. And as you take on the clothes off, he would take more clothes off. 
and um, that was I was old enough at that point to know this is bad, um, but not sure how to handle it. We I came from a very public family, very public figure family, especially in the community I grew up in, and um, I knew the church was kind of our life. So, but he knew that too and um use that against me as the time progressed because this one that went on for four years yeah about four years a little over four years and i mean i i was an altar boy for a very very long time and active for a very long time but the um like i said it went from kind of this innocent piece of it then the kind of helping disrobe but then there was the touching it was in the beginning it was less about him touching me and became more about me touching him. So then it was asking me to help him disrobe, um, claim that he was having problems, you know, uh, problems with his zipper in the outfit that he was wearing. And, um, and it just, it's a, it's, I mean, your kids are able to discern right from wrong. Certainly at eight, you know, my kids are able to do it at three but there it's the power figure piece of it and the the knowledge that or the the kind of curiosity to say what what am i going to do with this if i don't do it or what's going to happen if i don't do it mm-hmm. so it's being threatened without being threatened at least in the beginning um but that graduate yeah i, I mean it, it became a lot more um a lot more uh touching a lot more opportunities to to touch um, it never it reached the point where I, uh, at least at first, it not reached the point where um, I would touch him to the point that he would climax or anything like that. Um, but uh, he, it'd be kind of close. So, um, but that just emboldened him, and it it became it, as, as I started to show hesitancy in what was going on. Um, cause there was locked doors. I mean, there was, you know, an empty, empty church has a lot of, a lot of places you, you can go, but not many for somebody to hide from somebody like that. Um, but it grew into, um, where he realized that I was getting more hesitant. So his threats became much more overt and those threats were directed at my family, um, directed at the public figure that my father was um, directed. I had a sister that was a couple of years older than me. Um, it was very, you know, that if I said anything or I stopped or if I tried to get, you know, get other people involved, that it would affect my father's business, that it would affect my mom's, my mom's reputation because she was uh, a, a, and is a, a beautiful woman. Uh, yes. So uh, I got to ask you a question. Yeah. What did that do to you as a little boy? Growing into a teenager, right? Yeah. What did that do to you in here in your heart when all this, for lack of better words, shit was getting thrown on your lap, literally, and feeling like you had this responsibility to protect your family by continuing to do something that made you feel so uncomfortable like what did that do like what did that do to you there were two two big things that it did to me um and i'll 
I'll share something that I I don't want to share with my wife before, but there was kind of a, there was a pivotal moment in what was going on that was the the ultimate um, threat against me, where I I had where, um, I mean he raped me, and he raped me over the baptismal pool, the same baptismal pool that I was baptized in, and. It was, there was just, there were, uh, try to, that was where I just cut it off. That was where my, where suddenly instead of the fear and the anxiety, the, um, like, what do I do with this? Uh, I suddenly was in that, you know, kind of moment where I had to separate who I was with what was happening. So, um, while this is happening to me and it happened, you know, more, more times than once. And certainly, you know, the more painful touching and things like that, uh, I had to separate what I felt. I just abandoned what I felt so I could just, just be dead to the moment. So you just took it to protect your family. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, it was, I, I took it to protect my, my family, but, um, at the same time you, uh, and this stayed with me my whole life. These two things stay with me my whole life. I thought I deserved it. Um, it was very, you know, this is a church and this is a place that I had felt safe before. And the, that constant, you know, you always have it thrown at you that nobody's going to believe you. Um, this is something that's your fault. Um, you know, it could bring down the church, it could bring down the community, it could do all these things. And so I felt that there was, that it was like a sense of responsibility to allow it to happen because it was my fault. And because I, um, my fa- and I, yeah, my family certainly factored into it. I th- and I was, I was worried about what, uh, what repercussions would come to my father, but I was, I was actually worried about my sister. Um, and not that they would do anything to my sister, but um, I just it I just felt like she, you know, if something happened if something happened to me, or if I decided to come out in school, that she was going to be embarrassed by me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I have absolute confidence, even though my father is gone now, that had I told him, had I had the uh, courage to tell him that he'd have brought down the he'd have brought down the wrath of God. Um, on that situation. Well, I mean, uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I wasn't even ready for that. So thank you for that. Um, You know, you hear a lot of hard things and it's been a while since I've really heard some really difficult stuff. Um, And um, I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to find the mother trucker and beat his ass right now. But he's dead. Well, I'm sure he had some answers to, he already faced yeah. his demise. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. Um, I feel confident if every time I look down, I know that he's somewhere below. So, Hey, but you know what? You know, the fact that you were willing to do just what you just did, that's super fucking brave, dude. That's brave. Sweating. <laughs> I know. I know. And well, you're also wearing a hoodie and probably an 80, you know, in a hot ass house. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not helping. No, but um, you're getting it out, right? And that's part of the healing process. 
And uh, I'm a, I'm a firm, you know, you're not, you're not alone. You're not alone. So with that, I want to move on because I have a feeling this, what you experienced as a young boy in your teenage years followed you as an adult. Because you said something really profound that I heard you say in your interview. You said that you felt like you deserved it. Mm, yep. You also said that after you, you, you talked about your late wife. Mm-hmm. Same words came out of your mouth. Yeah. I want to jump right into that. Okay. Now, we are talking about some heavy stuff. Yeah. Guys, listeners, I promise we're not going to stay in this. Trent, I'm not, we're not going to keep you in this. I'm not going to stay in this with you. We are going to get out of it. Okay. We, we, I'm good. We, yeah, so am I. I promise. I am too. Okay. But if for any reason you're like, we need to get out of it now, let me know, okay? Yeah. And we'll, we will shift gears and we will make sure our listeners are good. If you're still with okay. us, thank you so much for hanging with us. What I want to know is, if I read it correctly, in 1997, mm-hmm. that's when your late wife passed away. Correct. Uh, what you mentioned was she was in a car accident. So, kind of lead lead us through, you know, and you don't have to get terribly deep if you don't want to. She was the love of your life, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long were y'all married for? Uh, less than a month. Okay. Were y'all like high school sweethearts or something? No, it was kind of, it was interesting. Um, we knew each other vaguely in high school, um, but just, she was in a completely different school. She was from Corpus Christi and I was from Waco. Dude, I'm um, from Corpus Christi. Are you? Weird. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, what, high, what, yeah. What, what, what school? Uh, I, it's been a long time. I keep wanting to say it, it's, it was a Catholic school. Oh, that definitely was not me. I never went to Catholic okay. school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's all I, that's all I went to through right. high school. This with, weirdness uh, just went away. Totally cool. Okay. We're clear. Yeah. No. Uh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was kind of a nerd, so I was speech and debate guy. And I yeah, happened you were to, a nerd. Yeah. I was good, though. I was I'm a good nerd. sure you were. Yeah, I was an effective nerd. <laughs> Did good. I made I made nerd, nerdiness cool, kind of looked badass back then a little bit. Wish I had glasses <laughs> and no, you know, no facial hair or anything like that. So I was, uh, I was good. You were a geek. Yeah, I was geek. Hell I yeah! Was definitely a geek. Cheers. Yeah. The first PCs and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, Jesus! Straight up geek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so she was. Uh, she did. The same things and we ended up actually competing against each other in one of the competitions that was down there in corpus christi so um we had you know this is back before you know it was easy to communicate with or easy to keep in touch before email and stuff like that you know um pay phones. but we kept in touch huh pay phones totally yeah 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 back in the day mm-hmm. so uh but we kept in touch with each other but really not enough to I guess justify when we eventually met again. But the next time I saw her was when I actually I worked. Uh, we ended up working together. So I was working for an insurance company in Dallas, and then she ended up getting hired on, and not just hired on. She was on my team, hmm. and it was very much like the the very first day. It was like, what? you know, we just kind of immediately looked at each other, and you know, it just uh, from right there it was. That was it. I was, you know, 
inseparable and hmm. nothing was going to come between us or so I thought. So, but we developed, um, developed that relationship and spent a lot of time. Um, some of the things I did not know were just how elaborate and difficult the past she'd had. Um, so, um, one of the things that she suffered from, she was actually a, uh, rapid cycler bipolar. Um, but I didn't even know that until after she died. Um, I've never even heard of, I've heard of, of course, bipolar, but rapid cycler, yeah. I've never heard of that. Um, they may call it something different now. Um, cause it's obviously a long time ago, but that's, you know, with bipolar, you, a lot of times you got kind of, you know, the, they got the ups, but then right. you got a little bit of downs, you know, but hers was just, yeah, she was just in a constant state of flux. And, um, but you know, we were young, uh, just for at least for a while, I didn't really kind of put two and two together. So, but it wasn't until, uh, she had an accident on October 10th. 1997 and at the time a lot of what i did was looked at cars and still to this day it's one of the worst accidents i've ever seen um it was on i-75 in dallas right right before campbell uh like richardson collins and campbell yeah 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 yeah, richardson sorry and um she uh it was a massive rainstorm she uh ended up being behind a uh, Dr. Pepper, I know it was Dr. Pepper truck. She ended up being behind a Dr. Pepper truck. She skidded and her Saturn, 1996 Saturn SL2, still remember the car. And um, she ended up bouncing up along the side of the uh, barrier on the left. And it drew her into the front, uh, to the front of the truck. The truck then hit her, T-boned her, pushed her into the second lane over where she was hit by a city bus. Jesus. Uh, which then switched her to the next lane, and then she was T-boned by a City of Richardson dump truck. What? Yeah, and that's just the beginning. She, uh, she, yeah, ended up on the side of the road. Uh, car pointed southbound, the northbound lanes of seventy-five. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah, oh yeah. Dang, dude. I mean, that, back then, I mean, Saturns were built pretty good because this thing. Every plastic piece was gone off of it, but structurally it was still in still in good shape. Jeez. So people came up trying to help her, um, see if she was okay. And I mean, she was at that point, obviously, she was in full trauma mode. I mean, she was just absolutely off the charts. So she ended up putting her uh, car into drive and started driving southbound on the northbounds of lanes of 75. And this is rush hour. She hit six other cars and ended up. Um, hitting a Toyota Camry head-on. And the car finally came to stop. Damn. Yeah, it was pretty... Yeah, it was... It was pretty fucked up. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to Google that accident because how the hell do you even... Holy moly. Yeah, that was nuts. Shit. Okay, so the, the car came to complete stop. Yeah, she uh, um, and I. I was actually at work and got a call that they had taken her to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, um, got up there, and she had nothing but bruises on her legs and airbag burns on her face. That's it. Dude, no broken bones, no nothing. What kind of car yeah. was it again? 
1996 Saturn SL2. I'm on it. I'm going to have to go buy yeah, one. I know. If Holy you can find one still functioning, crap, dude. put together I pretty Toyotas well. Toyotas were good. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she was, was in a, the hospital, bruises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was in the emergency room. The, um, it, it was all, it was chaotic. It was yeah. you know, downtown Dallas. But uh, I tried to explain to the um, emergency room physician the medicines that she was on, um, still not knowing fully why she was on them. So, I mean, but um, they said she had a concussion, which made perfect sense. But he wouldn't listen to some of the other questions that I had about what to do, and he ended up sending her home. Uh, So she was fine for a little bit. Um, and then about five days later, uh, yeah, five days later, seven days later, um, I came home and, uh, I walked in just to check and see how she's doing. And she was in the, she was in the bathroom and she was painting her nails, but she was painting her nails and then she would wipe it off and then she'd paint them again and wipe it off. And I mean, she was doing this dozens of times and she, she'd paint them all. She'd make the small mistake and then she'd wipe them off. And I was like, okay, we got, we got a problem here. So the medicine that they had put her on for the concussion, um, turns out later I found out that it basically negated the, the stuff she was taking for antidepressants, but she, um, I took the medicine away and she went nuts. I mean, she was absolutely furious with me uh, that I took the medicine away. So I gave it back to her and kind of moved on down the road, hoping that, you know, things would at least improve over time. Then the 22nd came. Um, and this is part, I, I will ask you this just because I, and, you know, ask your audience is kind of a preempt. Anybody I've ever told this story, I make sure they know ahead of time. Are you sure what you're sure you want to hear this? Um, <clears throat> well, so, there's really nothing you can say that'll throw me off kilter. Um, got it. But I, you know, for my listeners, if you're not ready to hear some hard stuff, uh, you know, fast forward it another couple minutes. I'm sure we'll get through it or yeah. just stick with us. And, you know, this is this is what we really go through, you know. Yeah. Before you start, I just realized yeah. you said it was on the 22nd. October 22nd. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so October 22nd, 1997. Uh, 9.47 p.m. So uh, I, had, I had been at work. I'd left her. I'd been at work. Um, I'd gone out with, to dinner with a friend. I hadn't heard from her. I'd repeatedly tried to reach out to her and I didn't hear from her. And um, so I told him, I was like, man, I got I to gotta go check on her. So I went home and um, I walked in the door and I called out her name, but didn't see her anywhere. And called out her name again. Still didn't hear anything. I knew she was home. Um, and uh, but then I went to the kitchen, and in the kitchen at the sink there was a washcloth over the um, over the sink, and it was uh, it was bloody, um, quite a bit of blood. And so then I didn't. I, had no idea what was going on. So I called out her name really, really loud. And I went back to the, uh, it was her apartment. So I went back to her room. And as I got to her room, <clears throat> she started uh, coming towards me. 
And um, hang on a second, my kids are here. I need you to take a shower in there, okay? Levi, can you shut the door, please? Thanks. Real quick, did yeah. I hear Duke? Huh? I mean, did I hear your pup? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, the pup is right here. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. So, that's one pup, and there's two pups. <laughs> All right. So, the third one is walking around. Anyway, right. she, I can't let the kids hear this. No, um, I don't blame you, dude. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I walk back, and her bedroom's off, the bedroom's off to the right. And as I get there, she starts walking towards me. And she's tell, she's wearing uh, her favorite shirt of mine. So her favorite T-shirt of mine. And it's covered in blood. It's absolutely covered in blood. There's blood on her face. There's blood all over her. And she's holding her arms out at me. And she's just saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. What she had done was she had taken uh, she had taken a knife and instead of kind of a clean slit of her wrist, she had actually crucified her wrists um, and driven it all the way through and up on both arms. Um, and she was, she had been bleeding for a very long time. So, I mean, I looked at her and I said, she was coming towards me and I mean, panic set in, but so did the tears. And I just told her, you know, she was just like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I just, I was crying and I just said, no, you're not, baby. You're not okay. You're not okay. But then I, um, the next thing I did was went into the other room and tried to grab the, the phone and I grabbed the phone and my, I mean, this is a mistake that I made, but just wasn't thinking too clearly. Um, I didn't call 911. I called my mom and told her what was happening. And I'll never forget what she said um, to me because she said, where's the knife? And I look around and it's not there. And then she said, where is she now? And Sarah wasn't, I couldn't see her anywhere. So I started making my way back down the hallway and she had crawled into the bathtub and she had the knife and she was stabbing herself um, repeatedly. And um, she, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, she had stabbed herself three times before I could get I, the um, floor was covered in blood. So I slipped uh, as I got there, but she, um, I was able to get to her before she did it the fourth time. And so I took my arms and put this up against her to keep, keep her from being able to get the knife in. And <clears throat> she was extremely strong. I mean, she was, you know, she's five foot six and about a hundred pounds. But right now she's got all the endorphins going and she was, she was overpowering me and um, she wanted the knife. She wanted to stab herself, continue stabbing herself. And I, I couldn't let her because of the position I was in. So she leapt out of the tub um, onto me. And so I was, I was back like this and she ended up falling on the knife for the fourth, fourth time. And that was the one that punctured her lung. And, uh, that was when uh, everything changed. So um, that's when the blood started coming out of her mouth. 
and um, I knew that uh, I knew that there wasn't much that I could do. I had called nine one one, and nine one one was coming, um, but I I knew they weren't gonna make it, and she started to drift in the tub or drift back or head back, and uh, I laid next to her, and I mean I was begging, I was absolutely screaming and begging. I was like, God, please, please don't do this. And I was begging her. I was like, don't stop. Don't stop breathing. Don't stop breathing. And uh, trying to stop the blood and wasn't working. And she, uh, anyway, she, uh, she just kept heaving really hard. And it was then when I, I realized that what I wanted and what was going to happen were two different things and certainly what she needed. So I crawled in the bathtub with her. And I, uh, I held her, I wrapped my arms around her and I told her, I said, it's okay. I said, it's okay to let go. I love you. And it's okay to let go. And she had probably just two more breaths in, but instead of this heaving and panic where she was holding on, um, she, she let go. And it was this calm breath and you felt the weight go away um, and she relaxed and she was gone. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Fuck, dude. I mean, that's hard. I know. I'm sorry. Don't apologize, man. That's, I mean, I've been in rooms. I've heard a lot of hard shit, a lot of hard stuff. This is hard. Yeah. What I want to ask you is something, a couple of questions. Yeah. First off, fucking thank you for sharing that. I mean, this is the shit you see in movies. This is the shit you may read in a a book. But to hear it come from from you, a man that even with the trauma that you're seeing, right? You still had that compassion for her to hold her and tell her it's okay to go. I wanted our last breath to be one peaceful and just to be love. That was the only gift I could give her at that moment, and I think I did that. I don't think you did that. I I know you did that. You know? Mm -hmm. And I hope you're resting in grace around that. You know what I'm saying? Took a long time. I'm sure you'd... Well, let me ask you this, because you're a believer, Mm -hmm. and I'm a believer. Right. And I just want to be gut-level honest here. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you angry at God? I was. um, I was. Yeah, and I I was... I was... I was so... I was... I was so wrapped in what was going on. And um, I think I may have mentioned it in the documentary or not. I, I can't remember. I mean, I was in church for the documentary, so I had to tone it down a little bit. But I remember uh, coming home uh, from the hospital. And I mean, you know, my mom was there at the hospital. She saw me, and I mean, I'm just drenched in blood. And she was, uh, I mean, Sarah was special. She really was. And my mom, as much as she was suffering for what I was going through, she went in when they finally told me that she was gone. 
she went in and held her hand and kissed her bloody hand and said goodbye. But it was when we, <clears throat> when I got home and uh, I needed to take a shower and I, I was taking a shower and that last bit of her blood went down the drain. You saw it spiral down the drain. Mm-hmm. And it was that, that moment where um, the same feelings I had as a kid where I realized that everything that had happened in my life, I deserved it. That I didn't know where it began. Um, I didn't know where, where it, where it began, where the responsibility began, but that everything that had ever happened in my life, every single bad thing was my fault and that I deserved it. Who taught and, you that? Uh, I, the experience taught me that. Um, just the experiences of what I've been through before. Um, never, never anybody. I, mean, I have a dear and loving mom. Um, I had a sometimes combative relationship with my dad, but never, never a lack of love. And, right. Uh, right. Well, when we're little, we 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 start telling ourselves lies, and we believe the lies. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I deserve that. Well, they're easier to believe. I mean, it's oh, that that kind of thing of trying to find trying to find response. I mean, this is the thing I think some people forget about with children is that they're trying to make sense of whatever's going on around them, mm-hmm. and in the end, if they can't make sense of the external aspect or distance to it, then they're going to internalize it and make it theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean that's that's why you have to tread so lightly with kids. Yeah. Um, when it comes to their hearts, but you're, you're asking about God. Yeah. Um, I was very angry. Um, and I, I turned that anger into something, um, not long after where even though I knew God existed, uh, I felt that if I could start turning people away from him, that that was my vengeance against him. That was my revenge for everything I'd been through, but especially Sarah. So I, I would attack believers or attack their belief um, with believers. And like I said, it wasn't, I didn't suddenly become an atheist, but I was a, a bitter, angry uh, person who didn't want to see anybody feel close to God. I wanted them to feel like I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I get that. Yeah, I mean, I was a total dick. I mean, I was just, I could take anybody that, anybody that loved God and felt good and comfort and peace, and I could just, I could break it down. So, so shortly after that. Yep. And here we go, right? So you, you're, you're living life and you find your new bride. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. and you get your diagnosis. And listeners, guys, I promise you, we're gonna hit on some really good stuff here in a minute. But this man has Sorry. been literally through some shit that I'm like, I don't know what we should hit on. But now that we're talking, it's like, why not hit on it all? Right? Yep. Uh, if we go over an hour, stick with us. We'll break it up into a couple of segments if we have to. Just hear us out. So you meet your new bride. Mm-hmm. You guys have twins. 
little babies. Yep. A boy and a girl. Way to knock that out really quickly. Yeah. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how soon after, uh, you know, now that you have your family and the and the babies, mm-hmm. how soon after that did you get diagnosed with your diagnosis? Seven months. Seven months. Yeah. Seven months. Seven months and seven days. Yeah, they were born May 9th, and on December 16th of that same year, I was paralyzed. Oh, man. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. When you got that diagnosis, did you tell yourself that you deserved it? You know, um, I was definitely definitely kind of back into that... um, there's why me and then there's whiny why me and I was definitely very whiny why me so because I I couldn't keep up with these young babies you know I've got this disease that even the doctors that are treating me don't know how to spell you know or how to pronounce (laughs) and uh yeah in the emergency room and I had five or six six different neurologists and one on this tv screen you know uh talking to me about this and every one of them pronounced it a different way. And I'm like, yeah, that's trouble. That can't be good. So, uh, but yeah, it was just, I mean, I would try to find humor as a, uh, as a way to deal with it. Well, so you don't um, feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, every day I was in the, every day I was in the hospital, I'd get Amazon packages of new superhero t-shirts. And that was what I wore in PT every day. <laughs> Even though I couldn't move, I'd be wearing a, flash shirt you know well, I mean, something. that's that's more determination right there you yeah. know that's um what was your turning point when were you like you know what i'm done sitting in my shit i'm ready to do something different um there were there were a couple turning points i think was um Really, I because there was the young beret, and then after that, I got the CIDP, which is the chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, Jesus. which is um, that was the one that pretty much killed me. Um, but it was after it was after the second embolism, and I was in the hospital for another couple months. But when the second embolism happened, I was already in bad shape, and. Um, I had the doctors in the hospital that were, I only had about, I had about it was 16 or 18% of my lungs. I'd just go with 18 just because, you know, go on the positive side. Hmm. And I'm, I'm laying there and these doctors come in and, you know, they got the ominous doctor look and they said that I needed to start settling into the fact that I'm not going to make it. There's nothing they're going to be able to do for me. Um, that, you know, they want to be able to send me home, you know, set up hospice or that kind of stuff. And I just needed to start finding a way to accept that I'm not going to make it. And I mean, I had all kinds of tubes in me and everything like that. And I just, I, I thought to myself, or I was like, you know what? Screw this. I was like, that, that's not happening. So I looked at them. There were three of them are in there. And I said, you're fired, you're fired, and you're fired. And got the hospital minister and said get him out of here and uh that's when i that was one big turning point because i didn't want to die and it, it wasn't that i couldn't wrap myself my head around the fact that i was going to die at some point but it wasn't gonna be then and i mean that was 
you know, God told me before the first symbolism happened, I said, not yet. And that was his way of letting me know, you know, that was his way of letting me know that I'm going to put you through some shit, but you're going to come out the other side. So I spent that time in the hospital um, with my iPod teaching myself how to breathe again with music. Hmm. And my nurses, yeah, my nurses would come in. The one doctor that, you know, tread real lightly on ever saying anything to me. (laughs) You don't want to get fired too. Um, But they would, you know, technicians, PTs or whatever, they just made sure that I had a constant flow of the music that I needed to teach my lungs to work again, to teach them pattern breathing. um, So, so let's hit on that. And I'm I'm going to back up two, two steps because you said you you had two embolisms. I did. Yeah. Uh, and you, before we even hit record, you said you flatlined. I did. Yeah. That was the second one. That was the second one. Yeah. And you're still here. I am. You're here. I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued. Okay. Before we get into like what your favorite artist is or who your favorite artist is. Yeah. Yeah. How did you use music to help you learn your, with your breathing patterns and, and to breathe again? Um, the majority of the music, I mean, I had, I had all kinds of tastes, you know, even growing up. Um, but one of the best jobs I ever had was working for a music store in high school. Um, but I, I've always, you know, again, I guess maybe going back to the nerd roots, I fell in love with soundtrack music. And I mean, as a kid, I loved anything, John Williams, you know, star Wars, especially Superman. So the one particular song, Superman fortress of solitude. I think it's number eight. Uh, it's pretty brief. It's where the young Superman, young Clark Kent throws the green, you know, the green, the, the kryptonite, little crystal, throws the green crystal, and then the Fortress of Solitude builds. But there was just something about that kind of small, small song, but um, soundtrack music. Um, and it could be powerful soundtrack music. It could the um you know more subtle calming ones you know i loved uh one of my still favorite soundtracks i was listening to it just yesterday it was the glory soundtrack you know for that movie with denzel washington mm-hmm. and matthew broderick wow great you're taking it way back dude yeah you're like yeah, aging you know, yourself I, I, I predate i predate <laughs> yeah. so that is but, that's so cool that is yeah. so cool i would have never thought but it makes complete sense yeah. That's so cool. I mean, it, you know, it, I mean, you obviously speak about it a lot, but music is a kind of an instantaneous, life altering, ongoing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, it sounds kind of instantaneous and ongoing, don't really seem to fit. But the moment that you, I mean, you can hear one or two bars or you can hear one, just you, you, you can instantly tell. Um, you can instantly remember that music and it brings emotions back like that. And uh, there's so many things you can do with me. I mean, when Sarah died, I mean, I was suicidal and regularly attempted it multiple times. Really? But then suddenly I, yeah. Hmm. But suddenly I discovered um, Alison Krauss on Union Station. Oh, dude. I love that. I love, she's got the voice of an angel. Yeah. Love I mean, her. it was, she came along at the right time and 
Oh, that man, was that like live album. 2003 yeah. when I got introduced to that album. Yeah. She, uh, yeah. she may not know it, but she saved my life because uh, there was suddenly this voice that you can't do anything else but feel calm and peace to. And uh, but she did. I mean, she single-handedly turned around so many potential events where I could have ended it. And uh, I mean, I would play the same music over and over at night. I mean, I still I still listen to her music, but even now, my wife makes fun of me. But at night, I listen to the same music, the same songs over and over again. You know. And I listen to him when I when I train too, you know. Um, but yeah, music uh, just a huge part. I mean, uh, teaching you know teaching your lungs to work again is it takes different types of patterns, but there's no better thing you know for a pattern than orchestral, you know. Okay. Wow. And, yeah. Dude, I'm like celebrating over here because I mean that's the whole point of this mission with 2200 taps, you know, it's putting music to people's stories. Mm-hmm. Granted, I have been so busy. I have not done that in a long time. Although there's some fun, exciting news coming up around that. So y'all stay tuned. Uh, but I, when you were talking, I was, you know, run DMC. Oh yeah. Right. DMC yeah. himself. Uh-huh. Um, I was at a do-it-yourself music conference in Austin a couple – oh, Jesus, almost a couple of years ago. Good God. Mm-hmm. Almost a couple of years ago. And he was suicidal. You know what song saved his life? What? Arms of the Angel, Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, man. That was – yeah, when Sarah died. Mm. Oh. Yep. Well, yeah. this this one saved his life. Yeah. And it was to the point where he was like, I need to collaborate with her. We need to figure something out. And they yeah. ended up collaborating together. And that's the power of music. We talk about it all the time. It's a common thing that we have uh, that we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, a few more things before we wrap up. We can keep going like yeah. for another hour, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll. I'm good if you are. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about more specifically. Yep. Um, 22 Kill. Mm-hmm. We love those guys. How did you get affiliated with 22 Kill and why is it so important? Because, guys, if you don't follow Trent Fielder on Facebook, which actually none of y'all probably do unless you're one of his friends, <laughs> we need to get you a public page or something, dude, because you're, you're super inspiring. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You have such a passion and a purpose and a mission to raise awareness to help prevent suicide. Mm-hmm. And and there's more to this that we're going to come back circle full circle back to ATF. Yeah. Um how did you get connected with these guys and why is it so I think we already know why it's important to you but what keeps you you know keeps you so passionate about this mission which i kind of we kind of already talked about but you know what i'm getting at right what keeps you going with the mission i should say uh well atf is where i was hooked up with them um so it was 
uh, you know, they were, they were around and, you know, you got to meet a lot of the guys in the beginning and that, you know, relationship is already there with ATF. Um, <clears throat> there, it was interesting though, uh, at the end of class 10, um, and again, like I said, 20, the exposure to 22 kill was there, but, um, and even, I guess, maybe in the middle of class 10, um, and I hope it doesn't mind me doing the shout out, but I, I kind of have to because it was what I observed. But Derek, um, <clears throat> Derek, I mean, I just, you know, I just want to constantly hug him, you know, but the, you know, we started building this friendship and um, he was really struggling. And, um, and I mean, he, he obviously had been through so much, um, but he was, he was kind of the, one of the quiet ones, you know, his struggle was quiet. It was just very internalized. It wasn't something he really talked about, but a lot of the guys up there, I mean, every day that I trained or every day I was up there, I wore Bible verses on my arms and um, I did it to keep myself centered so that I wasn't, whatever I was doing, I wasn't doing it selfishly. Um, but I found, you know, some of the guys up there that started getting into the word because they're like, who's that? crazy guy that's got writings on his arms. But with Derek, um, he became real special to me real quick. Uh, Q, um, Brian, um, a lot of those guys. And they're just, there was something that happened, um, not specifically with those guys, but it was just a, suddenly a, just a shot to the heart that I can't, I, I, I couldn't imagine my life without them. You know, as you start to, as you think about the 22 a day, which I know that numbers skyrocketed in the last year, I, the, the idea of them not being there, not being able to pick up a phone or see an Instagram post or see a smile on their face or talk to them, it was, it just wasn't something I could accept. Um, they just, they meant too much to me. And, um, I, with 22 kill, I didn't really know what I could do. I didn't have money or influence or anything like that. And when we graduated uh, from our class, you know, they ask you, what do you, you know, they're like, well, what do you want to do next? And I said, I want to do an Ironman. And it was the only way I thought I was like, you know what, I'm going to bring awareness somehow, you know, but, it, and again, they're everybody supportive. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they're like, you just learned to walk. It was like, and you're still doing it with leg braces. And admittedly, the only other time that I'd ever done something was a 5K. And I was 15 years old. <laughs> so you're like so, shooting for the stars here, man. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'd, uh, I, but I knew I could do it. I knew it was just going to, it was going to take focus. It was going to take, um, again, keeping my focus on what God wanted me to do. I believe that God absolutely put that on my heart, put it there for the right reasons. And, um, my intentions were always pure. I mean, every day I trained, I prayed. I mean, I was every single day. I had an open dialogue with God. Um, and I'd pray for other people. I still do it. You know, I, I just, when people are going through stuff. You know, when I've seen you go through stuff, then if I'm in the pool or I'm on my bike, then I'm talking to him, you know, or in the car. And, uh, but there, it just was not, um, with 22 kill and with the people I met, there just had to be a bold way 
to get the message out there. And I didn't. So when I, when I did the Iron Man, I was half Iron Man. Sorry, Mo. Um, oh man, boy, he'd have bit my head off if he'd have heard that. <laughs> he might, he just might. <laughs> yep. Yep. I think I said it twice or half. You did a half. Yeah. Oh my um, God. We love you, Mo. We love you. Yeah, we do. We do. hundred percent, man. Half, 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 half. But <laughs> when, uh, when I finally got the chance to do the, do the, the half Ironman in New Orleans, <laughs> I, um, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I never, I mean, 22 kill, they, they knew me, but they didn't know me. You know, they're just like, okay, who's this, you know, guy that wants to do an Ironman. And, um, so I actually took their bumper stickers and you can see, I think in the pictures on one of the articles, I took their bumper sticker and I turned my bike helmet into that. So I put 22 and then I put the kill.com along the top of the helmet. Oh, that's cool. And, um, I had stuff on the, on the bike, um, and in the racing chair to, uh, bring awareness that way. But then, uh, every time, because obviously in Ironman, you got tons of, you know, security, you got, you know, law enforcement, you got people that are trying to guide the path, right. you know, as you're, as you're going. So, um, every time I would come across one, I would, um, and there was also a, a military reserve base that was over there as well. So every time I came across somebody in uniform, I took my helmet off and I would just tell them point blank, like, I'm doing this for you. Hmm. And, uh, it, it had an impact, um, I think in that respect, but you know, I think, I think you knew I tore both my rotator cuffs and biceps early on, oh, geez. but I continued to race and, uh, right there towards the end, um, uh, to a sheriff's, uh, well, uh, cruiser and then a, uh, bike pull up next to me. And I thought they were going to stop me cause I was really slowing down and they, uh, I, I'm crying. I'm just, I ball my eyes out. I was just like, I'm not going to quit. And they're like, we're not going to let you. <laughs> so they followed me along and, you know, the, the one on the, on the bike, he pulled up. Some people were starting to leave because I was at the very end, but he, uh, he drives all the way to the front. He's like, nobody go anywhere. This guy's going to get up and walk. And, uh, that was the one prayer that I had. Selfish prayer was, you know, if God saw fit, I'd like to get up and walk across the finish line and point two left. That's what he wanted me to do. So I did it and went across. But it, it just, um, it ballooned into something. By the time I got to my car, by the time I went to the finish line and I got to the car, what I didn't realize is that there were people that were filming it the whole time. There were believers and non-believers that were watching this. And yeah, you know, hundreds of people, non-believers, that didn't really know what they were seeing. They were seeing a paralyzed guy get up out of his chair and start a jog. So the believers were grabbing them and getting them down on the knees and praying with them. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It Hell was, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm still just <laughs> looking at my legs, you know, I'm just like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, you know, oh, and, but you can see in some of the video, you can see people, you know, you see some people yanking others down, That's amazing. but you know, I was back to my car within 45 minutes or so. And my wife was there and I had friend requests. I had messages. I had, I had no idea why hmm. it's because people were filming, posting, tagging, you know, 
all of this as it was happening. And um, so I started getting messages and I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. No, you um, keep, keep, no, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Um, I started getting messages from uh, primarily vets. I mean, they were about, I think within the first week, it was about seven, 800 of them. And uh, letting them, letting me know how much it meant for them that I was going to put it all, put it all on the line, you know, uh, for them. And my message has really always been the same as how could I not, you know, how, how can, how could you not put it all on the line and be willing to, I mean, that number has got to be zero. I mean, to me, that's simple. Zero. That's it. I train every day with the objective that the harder I train, the more likely there's going to be zero. They're going to die that day. And I, I don't, it, the days that I don't train, I sometimes will cry. I'll get upset because I know 22 are dead. And that's, um, I can't be without the people that I love. And uh, whether that's the ones I met in the beginning of ATF, the ones I've encountered now, that, that mission is, that mission is mine. It should be everybody's. Um, to make it zero, and I, I think uh, it 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 will always mean the most to me. So that's why I'm doing the full one now. Holy crap, dude! Hell yeah, dude! Hell yeah! And just to clarify, you're not a veteran, right? No, no, I'm not. Yeah. So again, for my listener, you don't have to be a veteran to do this shit. You just mm -hmm. got to be somebody who wants to make a difference. Yeah. Whether you've been impacted by suicide or not. Maybe you haven't, and God bless you, man. I hope you never have to experience what we've experienced. But find your tribe, love them hard, get on board. Oh, geez, dude, that's fucking that's fucking amazing. I'm over here like cursing and shit, and I'm like, no, no, sorry, you're good. God. Like me and Jesus are gonna no. have a, we're gonna have a long talk at the pearly gates. Like that, I'm pretty certain about that. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that you know at least if there's anything I'd like for him to have a short-term memory about, it'll be you know the language that comes out of my mouth most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. When I train, I mean it's difficult too having kids because you'll create cuss words. You know, you just <laughs> you just start spitting stuff out. You're like, ah, son of a biscuit eater. You know, just anything, <laughs> anything you can, anything you can do. My best friend, she's. She's half Italian, half Irish, like down the middle. Whoa. I, yeah, it's bad. And her daughter is Irish, Italian, and Polish. <sighs> it's a great mix. But uh, Charity, she she tries to not curse in front of her kid. And it's funny <laughs> because she curses like a sailor. But when she's in the car, she may let one slip. And her five-year-old's like, Mom, language. <laughs> yes. Just like, yeah, girl. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. get it. It's kind of funny to watch yeah. that. Um, yeah, my kids will every once in a while I'll sit there and think that I've said I've said something, but I'm assured there's no way they heard what I just did. <laughs> and then I'll come to like, Daddy, Daddy, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh. And of course your first response is to go, damn it. And then you know they're like, they got you again. <laughs> well, uh, there's one last thing I want to just address. Yes, ma'am. Before we wrap up mm -hmm. and um 
you know, we, we talked about a lot, a lot of heavy stuff, a lot of heavy stuff. And if you're still with us, thank you so much, man. This is, this is what it's all about, right? And the fact that you, did you take suicide off the table, actually? I never asked that. Um, I've, it's off the table, and then and I'm just going to be candid. The the trauma sets in sometimes. I mean, once I opened the mm. the Pandora's box on the abuse, <clears throat> I had to I had to put a lot of that right back where it came from, um, but still kind of dissect the individual experiences. You know, because yeah. my brain. I mean, every once I mean, we you know trauma. It's I mean, suddenly I was envisioning being abused by three different men at once. I'm like, well, that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but your head does that. But um, I've I've done my best. I think last year I, I had a real close. Uh, I was coming off. I've got a pump in my stomach for the pain, and I'm starting to come down off of that and experiencing a lot and um, hallucinations and stuff. And I I struggled with it. But yeah, um, I, I look at my kids or pictures of my kids and. I mean, I mean, I may be a lot of things, but I'm a good dad and I'm, I'm proud that. of that fact. And, uh, uh, I can't be that if I'm not here. Well, and just like you said about the guys at the gym, hmm? can't imagine your life without the minute. I'm yeah. pretty sure they would say the same about you. I hope so. Well, I know so. Yeah. So having people like you in my life, I want you in it. Just know that. I think you have a lot to offer, that. dude. A lot, a lot to offer. And uh, I'm super proud of you. I think you, I mean, I follow you. You swim in. I, like, I was swimming too. Like, we need to go swimming together. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be you cool. Know, it'd be good. Open uh, water? What? You want open water or pool? Fuck no. I haven't swam open <laughs> water in so long, dude. No. I'm <laughs> just now getting comfortable back with the water again because, like, my trauma was in water. Yeah. Uh, or on water, I should say. Um, I actually got afraid of it there for a little bit, but now I'm I'm comfortable with it. But uh, I might do some open water. Why not? I I don't. I'm not afraid of what's under it. It's just more water. It's just the yeah. fact that being out there again, I just got to get reacclimated because I avoided it for so long. And we're in Dallas. We're landlocked. There's no beaches. Yeah. So yeah. I'd prefer a beach to be honest with you. But yeah, let's figure it out. Let's figure something out. Um, but one last thing I wanted to hit on, because I think this is going to come full circle from the very first thing that you started talking about. Mm-hmm. And I got to be very careful with this. Um, yep. The things that you experience as a little boy, you are actually kind of reliving it again in yes. a different capacity. Right. And I'm going to just let you share that. Okay. Because I don't, what I don't want to do is start talking about something that we we really can't because there's some legal aspects. Yeah. So um, I'd rather you kind of just guide us briefly. We don't have to get crazy with it. Yeah. But what it's doing for you now that you you know what it's like and how you're showing up for this one particular person that is your heartbeat. Yeah. Um, my little girl. Um. Uh, my little girl's name is Nevaya Abigail, and uh, Nevaya, I got the name of the kids. So uh, my wife got the name of the dogs. I got the kids. It's good. Um, Fair trade. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think so. Um, but Nevaya is heaven spelled backwards. Um, mm. but it, 
but Abigail is daddy's joy. And that is absolutely what she is. And uh, she's just, she's just, a, she's a little heartbreaker. She's a stinker. Um, but she's just, she is a, a true child of God. I mean, she, uh, she has a heart for God, a love for, um, love for the spirit and, and love for sharing the word when she can and uh, a love for service. I mean, she was the, both my kids of, I can't find a ring small enough, but I mean, if I, uh, on her own, did her 22 push-ups, she didn't think, no, she didn't know anybody was watching or anything. Um, I got, I got video of it. I was kind of creeping behind the corner, but uh, she did her 22 push-ups. And uh, you want to tell our listeners what that's about real quick? Oh, 22 push-ups. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with 22 kill, um, it's kind of, I mean, I, I don't know if you call it an initiation or not, but one of the things that we do, um, uh, one of the things that, you know, that we do, and then anybody can do is you do 22 push-ups to, to honor the mission and honor the goal of turning that 22 into zero. So um, you do it to, you know, a cadence um, to get them done. It's loud and proud to let everybody know um, that you're a part of the tribe. And uh, it's, it's a powerful moment. So we did, we did ours at ATF and I've done it a number of times since then, just so I can feel it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like that. It always puts it back in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what gets lost. So back to your baby girl though. Yeah. My baby girl, I'll tell you, she, um, uh, this is right before COVID last year. And she was um, here at the, we were, she, um, my son, my other, my twin, her, her twin, um, were at the house and they were playing with people uh, here at the house. And I was doing yard work. And um, uh, another young man uh, who was here at the house as well, who um, we thought better of at the time. So, we had just moved into a new house, uh, our very first house um, that we'd ever owned. And I did something I'd never done before, which is, you know, let my guard down. So 46 years old at the time. And I, I allowed the walls of trust, you know, or the failure to trust people that happened to me when I was little and always impacted my life, stay there. But I decided I'd let them down. And one of the first people that we met ended up being the one that was uh, a predator uh, towards my little girl. Um, he <clears throat> uh, manipulated her. He did all the same predatory grooming behaviors that you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, he manipulated, he was in our house and manipulated her, uh, threatened her, uh, told her that nobody believe her and that um, it was her fault. Um, Shut her in her room. Um, He'd been kind of trying some behaviors beforehand, but my device sharp as attack, both my kids are, but especially her. And she, uh, she knew that that he he just kept saying things like, you know, I've got this special secret. And if you do this, then, you know, I'll, then I'll, you know, let you do this secret, do this secret thing. And even her, to hear her talk about it, she's like, I'm not going to do something that I don't know what it is. Hmm. And, um, but she was 
she was nine at the time. Um, actually, she was eight at the time. And um, she uh, he closed the blinds in her room and um, cornered her in, and she was she was able to get away um, after. <clears throat> just leave it at that. She was able to, she, after what happened, um, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, but she, uh, she was able to get away and had, uh, she was able to jump over her bed, just like the little ninja and, uh, was able to open the door, go in the bathroom, shut the door, lock the door. But then she realized her brother was out there. So she started pounding on the door and yelling his name to protect him. And, uh, she, uh, that made the person leave the house and I realized something was wrong, but it took hours for her to, to talk about it. She had a breakdown, a complete meltdown, um, at the park with a bunch of friends. And that's when we started to realize something was really wrong. Um, but we were able to get her to, to talk about it and uh, talk to her and, I was very careful. I was like, I'm sitting here interrogating my little, my little girl, um, doing it calmly and just reminding her that it's okay. No matter what you tell me, it's okay. But to hear her hear the same, to hear her say the same things that I had heard as a kid about being your fault and, um, nobody's going to believe you. Um, hearing her describe those things and, and then to hear her say, daddy, I didn't want you to be mad at me. It was like, it's not you that I'm mad at. It's not. So, uh, we've worked with her a lot through counseling and, um, the nightmares were severe for a long time. Now it's kind of moved more towards discernment where she's trying to understand how those circumstances came to be. But um, he continued at least one time to try to intimidate her in public or when in our driveway and scared her to death. I mean, she just froze. And um, that, um, that was when I just, I, she just couldn't move. She had grocery bags in her hands and she just froze. And I went up to her uh, when I realized what had happened. And I looked at her in the eyes and she just tearing up. And I told her, I said, what he doesn't know is that he's not, does not have the power. You have the power. You are in control and he's the one that needs to be afraid. And so that's, we kept building on that. And I would build on that every, every time, every nightmare and just let her know that he is the one that's going to be afraid. So we had already gone to the, police and they were involved and the courts involved, but, uh, she just has, I can't turn back the clock for her, but I can, I can love on her. And, uh, like one of the most important things she told me was, uh, the night that it happened, I was, I'd been training, you know, for a long time. I had an event that was coming up. Like I said, it was right before COVID and, uh, I'm laying down next to her and I'm crying and I asked her, I said, well, I said, if you want me to, I'll quit. I said, I'll stop what I'm doing. And those little bitty hands 
grab my face along the side, and that's kryptonite. And she looks right at me, and she says, Daddy, I want you to swim. I want you to, I want you to bike, and I want you to run across that finish line and catch me. I'm like, game on. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm like, that's it. All bets uh, are off now. Dude. So, uh, <sighs> so I'm going to run the 26.2 miles on my own legs. And I'm going to catch her. That's finish line. You know, I, oh, okay. So I know it may sound like we're ending on a sad note, but we're mm. really not. You just blew me out of the water right there with that. I mean, to think about all the shit that you went through, especially as a little boy, understanding where she's coming from, how she's feeling. I can't imagine what it does to you as a dad. I I, I can't. Um, but holy it crap. It answered your question. What's that? Um, I think I mentioned this earlier. It answered a question for me where even if there was a lingering why me from before or why did it happen? Mm-hmm. You know, I believe firmly that God prepares us in the past for what's coming now or what's in the future. And I am a better father for the circumstances she's going through because of what I went through. God dang. You're and a good man. It. And she knows it. I try. We're able to talk. She doesn't know much, but she is able to identify with her daddy. Well, I hate to break it to you, but she's your heartbeat. Man. So she, you know, and your boy and, you know, all the, when they grow up and you have these hard conversations with them so you can share with them like, hey, you know what? This is what happened to me. If you even do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the, just, dude, I just want to hug you right now. I can't even like hug you, but I want to hug you because this is probably the, one of the most hardest, but most beautiful podcast episodes we've had in a long time. Thank you for your vulnerability and your words. And I really hope this video works so I can get it out there. (laughs) But if not, we have good audio. Uh, And real quick, do you remember me talking about how... Uh, October 22nd, remember when I was mm-hmm. like, hey, yep. you know where I'm know going with that one, means. You know where I'm going with that? No. It's 22, dude. Oh, okay. That number is significant to all of us. Yeah. And although you had some serious trauma on that date, there's still that, you're still fighting for that. I don't know how to word it. I'm like speechless right now, but I look at the number 22 and there's so much just beautiful stuff surrounding it. Even though it's a hard number for us to look at, even though we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide and you're right, we're probably losing a hell of a lot more because of this stuff. Yeah. But what a way to honor Sarah. Yeah. And that's like when you said the 22nd, I'm like, holy what? That was the first thing that hit me. Yeah, I, I, I had not not seen it that way, but it, it fits because she's been such a cornerstone to the um, 
that experience and how you know, a beautiful person she was has been such a cornerstone to why I do it. You know, and like I said, these these people that I know, these heroes and it's just beautiful people that are salt of the earth. We can't lose them. And we can't dude, lose any of them. We can't lose you. We can't lose you. I'm not going anywhere. Neither am I. I don't plan on it. Good. I don't plan on it. I'm like I'm like an old Irish. Actually, I am kind of an old Irish grandmother. So, I check in with you a lot. It ain't gonna change. <laughs> <laughs> can you be like my Mexican grandma and just cook for me? I can, can as long as I, as long as I don't have to speak the Spanish. So, dude, I don't even know. Get Spanish, Taco Bell. Great. Hey, perfect. <laughs> <Good guy. laughs> I'm all set. Donde está la biblioteca? What? Donde está el baño? We know just enough to get us in trouble. We need, well, the important stuff, right? I'm a cerveza, a baño. Hasta luego. Peace out. You'll laugh because I, my nickname for my son is Hemi Chimicuda. It's a what, Barracuda? Hemi Chimicuda. I'm almost afraid to ask what that means. No, uh, it's always been his nickname that I gave him since he was a baby. Because he was he's rough and tough. We almost lost him. Oh. And uh, but Hemi, Hemi or the Dodge Hemi, the Ram Hemi. Uh huh. Chimmy for the chimichanga, and Barracuda for a wild ass fish. <laughs> <laughs> Hemi chimicuda. Yeah. Hemi chimicuda. Wow, dude. Yeah. It's just been his nickname. Couldn't so. you just name him like Chuck Norris or some shit? That would have just been a lot easier. That, uh, that might have, yeah, <laughs> that actually probably fit. So, whoever he gets. Or John Wayne, so. rough and yeah. tough. Don't take shit off no one. It's great. <laughs> he likes the now he's got now that he's almost ten. You say it and he's like, "That's cute, man." Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> well, shoot, man. I think I think we're we're ready to wrap up. How you feeling? Good. Yeah. I just want to help people. That's it. I Same. want to help people and give give whatever I've got to give because that's what God calls us to do. Hell yeah. And you know, I'm it's like I I talk to people all the time. I was like this I, I am the most I'm one of the most unconventional success stories out there. And you know, I figured out how to I figured out how to walk using PVC pipe golf balls and tape. And, you found uh, a way. Yeah, yeah. You found a way. And here's what's beautiful. And like I said, we can keep talking for hours, but we're not. <laughs> the fact that you looked at your three doctors in the face and said, you're fired, you're fired, and you're fired. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about every athlete I meet at ATF. Is Sean, he was in my class, class 19. The doctor, He got a bad motorcycle accident in a coma. Couldn't walk. Doctor said, you'll never walk again. And he looked at him and said, well, now you just forced me to learn how to walk and basically mm-hmm. walk my happy ass back in here and, and, and prove you wrong. Edwin, yeah. Edwin paralyzed. Doctor said, you'll never be able to feed yourself. This dude's feeding himself and he's learning how to walk again. Yep. Do, um, so here's, here's, here's what I'm going to leave you all with. If you allow other people to define your trajectory, you're missing the point. Find a way. Trent, you found a way multiple times. And for that, dude, I love you and I thank you and I appreciate you. I really do. Love you too, sweetie. Cool. 
We'll one stick- tribe, one fight. Hell yeah. These honor rings, yeah. baby. Hell yeah. There it is. There it is. If you can't see it, we've got the honor rings, both of us. If you want to know what an honor ring is, get to 22, uh, 22kill.com, which by the way, they are rebranding. Really? Yeah. It's the One Uh-oh. Tribe Foundation tw- at 22 Oh, that's right. That's right. I didn't know if they were doing all all of the rebranding to that, but that's that's exciting. Yeah, the One Tribe Foundation, because it'd be kind of hard to send a five-year-old to school with a 22 kill shirt on. You know, some people might frown upon that. <laughs> well, my son's got the... Uh, Got it on his backpack. I mean, shit, <laughs> if I had a son that was three, I'd be like, you can wear it on your diapers. Well, well, six-month-old, I would say, not a three-year-old in diapers, but whatever. Anyhow, yeah, they're rebranding. Yeah. Go check them out, 22kill.com, the adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Actually, 22kill.com. Yep, adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. And um, love on them. And Trent, stick with me here. I'm going to say goodbye, okay? Yeah. Well, hey, guys. An hour and a half later, if you're still with us, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if we have a video, it should be on YouTube. And make sure you guys subscribe, follow, like, and share. And real quick, Trent, where can are you going to have a public page where people can actually follow you and your journey? Do you have one? Where can people find you? Yeah, I, uh, it's, um, I have a, a Facebook page. It's kind of funny. So does the dog um, <laughs> since he's got his book coming out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's a gunner speak page. Um, but, uh, I've got one that's called an unconventional hope. Um, that's out there. Um, and I do have, um, I finally realized cause it was getting overwhelming. I've got somebody that's helping me, uh, build the webpage. Good. Um, I just started doing it and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Let me give it to a professional. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, we will, uh, to my audience. Yeah, so Trent, Trentfielder.com is there. It's just not pretty. Um, <laughs> but the Unconventional Hope Facebook is there. So uh, I'm working on it. Work in progress. Unconventional Hope. I will actually go follow you here once we get off. Sounds good. All right, Trent. Well, hang tight. But guys, good. I thank you guys for sticking with us. We are a good hour and a half in, but what an amazing story. What an amazing just everything. Yeah, so this is just the beginning of one hell of a season, and not even a season. We're not doing seasons anymore, but um, you guys stick with us because we got some really killer stories coming, amazing stories that y'all aren't even ready for. Jaw-dropping moments, I promise. I love you guys. 